You're listening to Tech Square ATL. We tell the stories of Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene. Breakthrough talent, breakthrough ideas, and breakthrough companies. All right, welcome to the Hump Day Exchange. I am your host, Scott Henderson, AKA Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. We're recording in front of a live audience right here in Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene, and we're excited to bring you this episode. Hump Day Exchange is a collaborative effort of Sandbox ATL, ATDC, and Georgia Tech's Scheller College of Business. This episode, it's entitled Blurring the Lines of Reality, and uh, we're going to explore the emerging technologies of virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, 360 video, and any other reality you can think of out there. Um, and we're going to talk with three experts who each bring a different perspective to the conversation. And we've got a, like every episode, we've got a stellar group of guests. Uh, this time around, we've got Dr. Mary Beth Gandhi from Georgia Tech, Raj Aluri from Honeywell, and Ian Knott of Atho. I got that right? Atho. Um, if you're listening to our show for the first time, here's how the program's going to go. After a short introduction to the topic that I'll give, I'll inv invite each guest into the hot seat for a one-on-one -on -one conversation, uh, just to give them a chance to go deep on their perspective. And once all three have gotten through the hot seat, we'll gather them for a roundtable conversation where they get to ask each other questions, and then we'll finish with a town hall Q&A with our live audience guests. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, get, uh, let's get rolling here. So let me start off with setting the frame. Um, you know, as the hardware uh, that as hardware has developed and has become less clunky and uh, the software is becoming more sophisticated, uh, this, this idea of, of technology of virtual reality and augmented reality and mixed reality, they're popping up everywhere it seems like. With our smartphones and wearable devices, sensors, it's all creating this rich environment for things like Oculus and Google Cardboard and Pokemon Go and, uh, and all these other things to leverage. And so, you know, I've been going out recently to a number of different technology conferences and you know, like South by Southwest and uh, New Orleans Entrepreneurship Week and you couldn't walk but just a few yards before you ran into someone demoing a VR or AR concept and you know, everything from two-player games to the running and play stands that you can do now to playing virtual instruments. In fact, I uh, sat in on a panel about medical researchers at Tulane who are using these technologies to help veterans get through post-traumatic stress syndrome and diagnosing ADHD and helping people suffering from drug addiction. So it's really interesting to see this popping up in many different places. And with all of that in mind, really looking forward to exploring where we are right now, how far we have to go and what's possible. So if you haven't binged watched Black Mirror yet, we'll get you going. So let's go ahead and get started with our first guest in the hot seat, um, Dr. Mary Beth Gandy from Georgia Tech. Thank you guys. So Dr. Gandhi does research, and she's uh, in the areas of augmented reality, mobile computing, computing, and human-computer interaction. You serve as the director of Georgia Tech's Interactive Media Technology Center, the director of Georgia Tech's Wearable Computing Center, and the associate director of media for Georgia Tech's Institute for People and Technology. That's a lot of stuff that you got on your plate. Uh, yes. How do you time do? How, where's your time for research there? <laughs> Such yeah, an it right? gets harder and harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Gandhi, what? What is the most compelling possibilities uh, about virtual reality and augmented reality and all these other realities? Well, you know, and I don't think it's, there isn't like this killer app. I, you know, I could list all the possible ways that you could use this technology. I think it's just in general, the idea that all of this digital information in this digital world is going to join us in the physical world. Like, you know, it's been getting closer and closer to us. It was in mainframes and then it was on a desktop computer, you know, in our kitchen. And then now it's in our pocket or our purse and our phone. But now what if it's really in the world with us? And obviously there's going to be amazing things to do with that, like ranging from, you know, helping somebody find where the water pipes are under their yard to helping, you know, diagnose 
someone with Alzheimer's. I mean, it's it's all over the map, but. That is the future of computing. Is it, it basically? It's, we're just getting closer and closer. To the yeah, it's just gonna. We're gonna become one. Um, the idea of blurring reality. Right, and the devices are going to be on literally on our bodies, in our bodies. You know, may, there may be this point where it's hard to differentiate between hmm. us and the computer. Now, um, what's nice about today's episode is this is like, to me, the second episode, because we had all three of you speak at the show and tell that we did around virtual reality, um, and you each gave a kind of a five-minute talk on what you think the world will look like in five years from now. Now, what you, you had cited four reasons why virtual reality isn't there yet. yet. Um, so what, what are those four reasons, and why, sure. do they why do they matter? Okay, um, displays still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. The displays we have now, they're not much better than what we had 20 years ago. They're just two orders of magnitude cheaper, and they're smaller. Mm -hmm. um, but we need to have a big breakthrough in terms of the resolution, the field of view, the focal length, making them in a form factor. You know, people say, hey, you know what we should have is some sunglasses that are actually an AR display. And it's like, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> but there are fundamental physics problems that we haven't solved yet. But people are working on it. Um, you know, so there's a lot of companies. There's so much money now in this field. Suddenly there's a lot of resources to try to solve these hard problems. Now, private sector as well as public sector money? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, the best paper at IEEE VR last week was a, a head-mounted display paper from Henry Fuchs at UNC. So he, he's one of the godfathers of virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And the display was about wide field of view and verifocal, which means that you can, you know, right now it's just a flat image that's at a set distance from you all the time. That's how normal displays work. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you could focus on different things in the virtual image like you do in the real world. Mm. And so they're doing it with eye tracking and deformable mirrors and like crazy technology. So displays was the first thing, you, mm -hmm. you, uh, understanding the environment. Yes. What did you mean by yeah. that? Well, so if I'm going to bring the digital world into this one, the system has to understand our world in order, where is it going to put this content? How mm. is it going to meld it? with our world, visually, semantically, et cetera. You know, whether it's AR and figuring out like where the virtual person should be, or if it's VR and it's figuring out how to kind of skin the real world so that I don't trip over the coffee table when I'm playing the game. Um, and so that's another one where there's a lot of advancements. Like um, there was a really good paper at the uh, Ismar conference last year that was called Reality Skins. Um, and it's a computer vision problem plus machine learning. So how can the, the system look at your environment and not just know the geometry, like there's a chair, but know that it is a chair. And so in the virtual world, it could make something that also is a sittable object, even though it might look like a pod in your spacecraft. Hmm. Um, you know, and also, like, if I want to have games, like AR games, they're going to be different depending on where I play them. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the game has to understand the world, and then it has to change the game design so that it makes sense, whether I'm in my living room or I'm on a, in a parking lot or I'm, you know, it, 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 it might be completely different depending on the physical environment, which mm -hmm. we're not used to in games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seeing the different uh, setups than the hardware perspective, like I saw the one where um, you, you lay on a, a table and you can fly through the city, right? And it's got mm -hmm. a fan in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, and I was listening to the guy who was demoing, he said that when he first got on it, 
he had a friend hold his, put his hand on his back, thinking that he was in danger of falling off and not mm -hmm. realizing that he was only moving just but inches at a, yeah. at a time. It was, his body was tricked to it. But the, just the length of having to lay on a table that looked like a chiropractor's table in a way. Um, it is interesting that we're setting, to do it right now at this point, you're setting people in kind of a, a, a preset environment, not yes. thinking about the differences of environment. Right, yeah. Well, and you know, your comment about the, the fan and laying on the table leads to the, ne the third mm -hmm. problem, which is the user interface. Yeah. And are we, is our house going to be filled with omnidirectional treadmills and plastic guns that we're going to be pointing and fans are going to blow in our face, mist that's going to You mean yours isn't yet? I mean, mine's smells, fully tricked out. The smell-a-rama that's going to be pumping different odors through the house. Um, and so we have a lot to figure out there because I think a naive uh, uh, assumption would be, well, we're just going to have a totally natural interface. Like, you know, someone will point to a picture of a guy on an omnidirectional treadmill holding a plastic gun and say, well, that's the interface that I want for my first-person shooter. And I'm like, is it? Like, is it really? <laughs> I mean, that might be fun to do some of the time, but, yeah. like, you played Call of Duty for 10,000 hours. Would you really be running on a treadmill that whole time? Um, <laughs> you know, so kind of that super realistic interface, why limit ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, there's been people, you know, talking about who's working in this area, you know, in the research domain, Doug Bowman, um, he's a professor at Virginia Tech, and he's kind of the leader in this VR interfaces because he's been doing it for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Like, what are these ways that we can take the best of the physical world, but also then give us like superpowers so we don't have to be limited in the virtual world. So mm -hmm. I can be casting rays and lifting giant things and teleporting around. And um, there's also some cool work in how you trick the person's mind. So like you may think that you've been running straight ahead for a mile, mm -hmm. but in fact, you've just been like running in a circle around in your living room, but you didn't even know it. Yeah, I've seen that where you can, if you just have enough room that you can get people running on an arc. Right, right? yeah, it's like called redirected walking. Mm -hmm. you, there's even shoes. I've seen projects that are shoes that are tilted a little bit. Hmm. So like you feel like you're going straight, but you're <laughs> just going around. <laughs> <and around. laughs> uh, makes me think of a joke. I, uh, never mind, uh, run. Swiss cows. Anyway, um, I'll let you guys figure mm -hmm. that one out. Uh, the last one you said was content. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a big gap. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, I don't think we know what a really awesome VR game is yet hmm. or a really great AR movie is yet. We're taking the older mediums and just translating them. You know, we're taking like what it would have been a normal movie. You know, I watched something on Facebook today that was like a Beauty and the Beast 360 video. And I mean, it was cute looking, but it wasn't really any different than just watching that movie clip. Okay, I could look around and then there's a candlestick over here or a plate of food dancing around, but like that wasn't really leveraging what could be cool about VR. Hmm. So we need the content, we need creative people of all kinds to be able to just start making crazy stuff. Just doing stuff. Yeah. No, so those four gaps, so how do you bridge those gaps and who's out there doing exciting stuff? Well, like I said, I mean the research communities uh, in these fields are have been around for decades, especially VR. I mm -hmm. mean, they've been doing VR for 50 years. So um, there's a lot of past research that can still be mined. Um, I mean, some of the things that are in the commercial space are only just like the tip of the iceberg of what's been done in the in the research domain. But what's exciting is now there's a lot of money being invested in these 
technologies. In the mm -hmm. past, I was, I was telling someone before this podcast, you know, I would show demos almost 20 years ago of AR, and it's a wagon with a computer in it and a GPS antenna and a homemade head-mounted display that would, like, burn your face. Um, and people go, oh, that's cool, but, you know, they just thought I was, like, a nut. Like, this would never be a, a product. Now there's, like, millions and millions of dollars being spent. So suddenly our, the ex, you know, we're accelerating in terms of the advancements that we're mm -hmm. making in all of those dimensions. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to see the kind of the magic magic sauce of Pokemon Go hit, right? And that was like, it wasn't anything brand spanking new. It just mm -hmm. seemed to bring things, different elements together. It was the content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. the content where, yeah, just think about the whole mythology of, of Pokemon. Mm -hmm. And in, in the intro, I said Pokemon, because that's how I say it, to, just to irritate my son, who's always like, it's Pokemon, Dad. <laughs> no, it's Pokey. Pokeman. Pokeman. Where's that Pokeman? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, where, where do you think that uh, virtual reality and augmented reality and mixed reality is going to have the biggest impact the soonest time, the, I think, the, on the shortest time? I think VR, it's going to be like home entertainment and gaming. Hmm. Um, when we figure out how to make really compelling content, I think, I think people are willing to spend what needs to be spent to, you know, when it's part of a console that you're buying, um, AR, I think, is in more like industrial applications. Hmm. Um, you know, any work where you need instruction, you need information that like right now you're looking at a binder of papers mm -hmm. or you're pulling something up on a, on a mobile phone. Um, I mean, there's, there's plenty of, of research that shows like very quantitative like ROI of deploying those like wearable and AR systems like in on an assembly line or out mm. in the field if you're a technician. Yeah, it gets me thinking when I was in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, I mean, they've got a lot of refineries down there and so then very few people work at those refineries. And mm -hmm. for, a, for somebody to have the ability while they're out looking at an equipment, a piece of equipment to see where, what, what it, how to fix it, right? Right, yeah, you know, because with AR we can, and remember AR is more than visual. It can mm -hmm. be any modality, audio, tactile, it can give you kind of this daredevil level of like awareness of the world around you. Mm. So these kind of superhuman senses. So you might be this one guy that's managing this plant and you can feel that the machine over here is starting to like overheat a little bit or hear that this, the, uh, we're about to run out of fuel in this other thing. And hmm. Yeah. It gives me thinking when you talk about all the different senses and especially in virtual reality is like you mentioned scent, you know, smell. I mean, that's such a powerful, primal mm -hmm. part of our whole memory. Um, and it's, it'd be interesting to kind of see how that's going to come to play and how people will utilize that. Yeah, somebody's got to invent something we've never seen before to make the smell work. Yeah, because that's the one thing I cannot post to social media is you just don't believe how beautiful it smells in the forest right now. <laughs> the problem or, is or we, don't have, we don't have an RGB of smell. Mm. We can't make a display... You can't clear the screen figuratively. You can't, we don't have the building blocks. You have to have the smell pre-made. Like, oh, the coffee smell is going to come out. Oh, the swamp smell is going to come out. But like, there, we don't have a mechanism of like, let's mix this together and make this, mm. you know. And yeah, then it have, lingers. You we just have the scratch and sniff book that we just yeah, did, right? Yeah, pre, pre, pre mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. Well, um, your, your time in the hot seat has come oh. to an end. But before Oof. I let you out. Um, where, where can folks find you on the interwebs? What's the best way to find you? Um, so they could go to wcc.gatech.edu or imtc.gatech.edu or look for Mary Beth Gandy on Google because I'm the only one in the world. 
<laughs> no, there isn't. That's, that's true. There you go. Well, they, uh, the, for, for the non-Georgia Tech folks, GATECH is G-A-T-E-C-H. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you have to say it all the time, it's so much easier to say GATECH than yeah. G-A-T-E-C-H. Uh, yeah. GATECH.edu. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you. Everybody. As you e exit the hot seat, let's welcome Raj Aluri from Honeywell into the hot seat zone. Welcome, Raj. Um, yeah, we, one or two claps, maybe. So Raj is the lead innovation architect at Honeywell, and he's uh, helping to envision the, the future from their new office right here in Midtown Atlanta. We were joking earlier, it, um, it takes a long time for him to describe what he does, but let's just say um, he's creating the future. That's the easiest thing for us to say. But you are a father of young toddler, I know of that, uh, and I imagine <laughs> you can come up and she, your toddler's living many times in away, so probably can think of some interesting home use cases for VR and AR for you, right? But, um, and you're right now currently exploring how to leverage this, these technologies for the large-scale commercial applications. Um, and I guess, Raj, what gets you most excited about virtual reality and augmented reality as a technologist? Yep. Uh, okay, before we start, like, okay, I just need to put it because it's a podcast. Like, Do your thing. Yeah. Uh, all the opinions and the statement which I'm sharing are my own. It's <laughs> nothing related to any products or the work that is being done on uh, Honeywell. So just need to thank, share thank that. You for, thank you, legal department, for coming yeah. in and helping us out. We appreciate yeah. that. Anytime, <laughs> I can just tell you, that's the, that is the power of our podcast. Is it, it makes legal departments worried yep. because we break news like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> yeah. But yes, you, all, of your, all these things that you're sharing are opinions and not necessarily those of Honeywell. So thank yeah. you very much. So, the major impact that what I'm looking at and uh, specifically exploring is with the VR and AR, the major disruption is coming in. The industries previously we used to have like, okay, this is specific domain, this is specific domain. And like, for example, we have a homes, a residential domain, commercial uh, buildings domain, and aerospace domain and all. They're all separate, separate areas and the data is completely in a different environments and all. But with VR and AR, you're actually trying to provide an immersive experience for the people who are using it. So that boundaries are getting merged. So you don't have any specific like, okay, this is a business data, everything has to merge. And you are, only thing that you're bothered about in the VR and the AR environment is what is the context that I'm getting out of all the data that is there for a factory or a building or anything. Well, I imagine that's kind of challenging you know, from an yep. enterprise perspective that's been doing these verticals and these silos. And all of a sudden, VR, AR forces kind of a, a user or individual experience perspective, which flips it all around. Yeah, so. that's what is happening. Actually, like, okay, if you see, uh, we had a huddle recently on the platforming. If you see and if you check on the internet, like, okay, the platform, number of platforms that are popping up, for the IoT frameworks, mm -hmm. the companies which are coming. Eclipse is strongly going on, like, okay, creating a complete IoT framework. The reason is, like, you don't have any more specific vertical kind of frameworks where you can say, okay, this data will be sitting in this silo. You have to have a mechanism where the data is pervasive across the whole solution. So, because if I'm going into some commercial building, I have like, okay, sensors from different um, domains, like, okay, there are uh, security sensors and there are like, okay, HVAC sensors and all those things. I cannot say like, okay, I'll have, previously we used to have um, 
I will have one server with the data for the HVAC system and the security system will be different. No, it doesn't work anymore like that. You have to have everything seamless and talking to each other because the only thing that is AR or VR is interested is in the, what is the context that I'm generating at the end of it. Mm. So that's a big challenge. And also like, okay, the industry is moving towards that so that all this information is merged. And if you actually see like, okay, from a city's point of view and all, there are a lot of cities which are actually exporting their, uh, uh, they're keeping their particular data open. So for example, if you go to Las Vegas, uh, you have this whole city data available for you to develop the applications. Mm-hmm. So that's what is happening. The data is being export, exp- uh, I mean, it's interconnected and also like, it's more, what is the solution that I'm bringing than it's more like, okay, what is the data that I have? How do I make sense of it? Using the different kinds of machine learning algorithms and the context that I can generate. There are different services that are coming in that. So, I mean, that seems to be a, a huge, um, I guess, inertia that's in your large organizations that have been uh, approaching this from these, these siloed data sets. And yep. now the world is, is really becoming a lot more networked when it comes to federated data approaches, open data approaches. Um, I'm curious then, how, what, is that, what are the challenges from a large, from a large scale enterprises to get, get to a point where you can take advantages of this stuff? Yeah, large scale enterprises, that's, there are uh, the major challenges, uh, most of the time this, it's the same challenge which we face when we ha- got the mobile. So when yeah. we- the mobile, mobile is a good, a good uh, kind yeah. of example to use in terms of what it is. Yeah, so when we, first when we saw the smartphone, all the backend systems are designed for your desktop applications where I was just telling before, like we were talking, you have uh, the page nation and all those things were how the data is streamed and all, the concepts were different. So it was done for like, okay, you get all the data, download the whole image, then you display. Simple example is how we see the images now. You get like, okay, partial bits and pieces of image and it starts rendering before the whole image comes out. So that's the kind of transition that is going on. So what we are doing is right now we are creating, rewriting the whole data model. The data is there, how do we consume it? There are like, okay, the there are different we are uh, passing the data through and it's like filtered and reorganize the data. So that's mm-hmm. what is happening because with the AR and VR, you cannot have any lag. Mm. So in a 2D environment, you can, ha- you can have a spinner and the user can look at it and okay, it's going to spin. I can put my mobile phone in the pocket and I can wait for some time and open it. How do you do that when you are wearing a head mounted display with a <laughs> polygon sitting in front of you and blocking your vision and it's spinning around <laughs> right so that means your basic thought process is how do you design the data and how do you give the data to the applications and what is the amount of data also will be different and basically the permutations and combination combinations of the type of the devices that you're going to have like okay you have the mobile you have the variable display you have uh, 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 basically, when you go to the augmented reality, you have multiple sensory information. Like, okay, you need to have spatial sound. You need to have your uh, 3D data should be there. And you need to have your spatial mapping information based on the location where you are in. And 
you need to have the real sensors information which is going to overlap on top of it so you, you need to stitch together all these things on the fly give it to you at the smallest possible data size you cannot say and on top of it the devices which you are wearing they are generating the 3d model on the fly because you cannot have gbs of gbs of data downloaded onto your wearable device on the uh, to see that okay the 3d content so mm -hmm. what we uh, where we are going is like okay the real time generation of the 3d content is getting better and better so for example the bim and uh, which is only previously used for defining how the whole building or uh, something looks yeah, like the, BIM, the build, building information management information model, model for the construction the initially it was developed for a purpose to enable seamless workflow across the construction but the same thing now is used across like how can i do a better uh, so the bim model is used so i just get the basic bim model information then based on that i can render and also generate the physics if you see the latest bim specifications they already have like okay information how do i uh, render and what are the physics that i need to have like for example if i have a table how it will be if i have a mic post how it has to behave and what are the behaviors that it will have so that's getting added into the bim hmm. it was not there before because for the construction industry they don't bother like what is the physics because they can feel it they can see how the brick looks like and all but with the air and vr when we started using the beam information it's completely changing the perspective and the specifications you had um, mentioned the the honeywell huddle that we hosted around uh, platform uh, developers and mm. the challenges of that um, i also remember you, you hosted you were part of a you attended a, a power meal one of our five yeah. to eight person gatherings that we we host around virtual reality uh, as a topic um, and you you were talking about some of the some of the mind-blowing stuff that you're seeing that's just coming out like yeah. around haptic and all you want to share a little bit what are, what are the, some of these mind-blowing so, stuff that you're seeing come to yeah. market now one more important point is like augmented reality is not just about generating the 3d content because that's only one sensory area so apart from that there are like okay when you want to the moment you project something 3d people want to interact it's like a kid when you show a kid uh, some cookie on the tv they want to grow and grab it okay they don't know it's actually not a real cookie but now you're doing the same thing with a grown up person like where you're putting a headset and you're projecting a 3d content so you normally will go and grab it so how do i make it make them feel like okay if i am holding mobile phone or if i am holding a door knob so in that area there is a ultra haptics is one company which i was looking at so they are doing a pretty good research on it like okay it's an ultrasonic based transducer it's not a completely new technology it's there before the beauty of air and vr is most of the stuff which we are looking at it's been done like okay decades ago but now they are miniaturized which is accessible so the transducer array is like okay right now is a small so Dr. Gandhi's uh, wagon load of yeah. stuff so is now in your pocket in your pocket so <laughs> you have like okay the small uh, notebook size array and what you can do is like it interacts with your it interfaces with your um, the hololens and all and it takes that particular 3d content and it has an interface with the leap motion so it uh, scans where your hands are and 
it knows what kind of 3d model you are it's being generated so simulates the haptic touch so that when you're holding a piece of equipment like okay doorknob it feels like a doorknob but we are not there yet we are still like okay the technology is evolving but right now the buttons and all that stuff is good like okay where you can feel like if i'm doing an industrial area like okay if i have to turn some knob which i'm not supposed to touch it then i can stand like okay, a couple of meters away and wear the hololens use that ultra haptics and i can feel the feedback and also i can turn the knob and i'll feel like okay as if i'm holding it so that's one area and another area is uh, neurables the neurables why it's important is like when we go for the next level of interactions and how we do it we have a very limited um, way of doing it with the hands so there are when we go into the 3d content and when we go into the ar stuff and all the as before uh, we are seeing like okay the experience and how we do and how we show like okay the uh, the 3d content and all is completely different we have to completely come back to a different area uh, we don't say like okay i'm going to take the 2d or the beauty and the beast and show in a 360 that doesn't come out so that means like we need to change how we interact with it also so that's where neurable is working on so they're coming up with a dry electrode mechanism which is really interesting for me because you don't have to worry about putting heavy sensors and all on your uh, headset if you want to reach a state where uh, i just wear my specs and i have only them some holographic projection and remaining all is uh, the interactions and everything is going through because i have a neurable interface and i am just using the haptics feedback to feel the touch mm. so you saw a lot of problems in like okay how do i reduce the amount of weight because the weight on this particular uh, all these devices are coming up with because we are putting so many sensors to scan where your hands so are so am i tracking on this that you basically what you're saying is it's just going to go straight and rather than be visual based yep. it's going to be through through our neural system neural system your interactions are coming through neural system so it's completely the visual cortex is cut out of the deal at that point you have the visual cortex but the thing is like your interactions are i don't need to scan your hands hmm. so you have an interface between your what you are seeing in 3d and you can just think and it works hmm. we're not there yet it's still in research but that's one very it makes me wonder about for those who are uh, visually um impaired yeah. you know being able to be as you know right now at this point it, since it's so visual based kind of you know that definitely does not include them in terms of the, the experience yeah there is another research which i was seeing is like okay there is a uh, research going on where you have a coaxial planting implants using the sound waves also you can create a perception of images okay mm. for the blind people and all so that's also an augmented reality mm. it's not about the 3d content it's about like how you generate augment a particular person's uh, sensors and add something new on top of it right yeah, yeah. so there is another research going and that's still in very early stages Well, I, I feel we got a lot, lot more to go with uh, this yeah. conversation when we get into the, the yeah. roundtable. But um, so, Raj, where, before I let you out of the hot seat, where, where can folks find you and your legal department on the interweb? <laughs> <laughs> so, my Twitter handle is there. It's uh, at Warjax, 
V for Victor, A for Apple, R for Ricky, J for Jack, A for Apple, A for Apple, K for Kite, and S for Skip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll get that in the in the show notes so people yeah. can find you on the Twitter. Um, and then Honeywell.com for the rest of the, the world? Yeah. Ah, excellent. Well, Raj, thanks for the time on the hot okay. seat. You've survived. Yeah. Why don't we? Thank you. Say thank you. And then as you exit, we'll get Ian Knott from Atho. Uh, co-founder and CTO, uh, this is a ATDC startup that's unleashed Thrive, a telepresence, immersive application that, uh, that allows participants to converse naturally as if in person, face-to-face. Now, Ian, you're a graduate of Savannah College of Art and Design. And, dropout. Uh, dropout, that's right. You, you, were, you were a, I meant to correct myself on my, my notes, you're, you're a dropout, a proud dropout of SCAD. Um, and I do like the fact on your LinkedIn that you're, you're seeking to answer the question of will humanity take control of those powerful forces and use them for good, or will we be left in something akin to 1984? <laughs> Sounds like a movie trailer we got into. All right, so what is your, your elevator pitch for Atho? And, and where did you come up from the idea f- uh, for that, that led to launching it? Sure. Uh, I can kind of break that down into two parts. Uh, first one being uh, with Thrive, um, we're really focused on, again, I think like some of the other group has spoken about today, what makes sense in terms of a business model now and certainly for the next few years. And when you look at mixed reality, which is really our focus with HoloLens and uh, upcoming devices in that field, it's really those business and enterprise customers um, that are going to be able to afford those pieces of equipment. And so when you kind of unpack and look at the space, and I'm going on a long elevator pitch because I want to give some background. This is a, we're on a long, we're on a tall building. We're, we're <laughs> in a virtual reality Perfect. building that's infinite. So there Perfect. We go. Uh, I'll limit it to about 40 floors. So <laughs> when you kind of unpack that, a lot of people are spending money right now on custom consulting, um, having somebody you know put their product, their service, et cetera, into a build so that they can impress a client, impress a customer, sell their vision, whatever it is. And so when you kind of look at where the money's going in the market today, right now, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to really build a platform with a core set of features that eliminates that developer and really empowers that user to pick up the HoloLens and other devices that come out and actually leverage them themselves. And I think right now, as trivial as some of these things seem, they don't exist today in terms of those workflows. And by building a really good, solid foundation that deals with some of those things from almost an OS level perspective, you sort of build a a quality of footing so that these other things like bringing in SaaS applications like we spoke about today um, and and really leveraging uh, these different verticals in this new medium um, becomes more of a a potential reality. Hmm. So... That's the. So the, where, where did where did the uh, inspiration sure. come from? Where was where was the pain that you were you're feeling? Well, I mean, I can personally vouch for the product that we brought to market previously, um, which was a hardware product, very complex uh, uh, hardware products, and leading the product design and engineering teams on that, blends of local and remote teams, collaborating on complex CAD data, um, spending countless hours, countless endless amounts of time going through things in high levels of detail, even if you're face-to-face with others um, and you haven't you know, spent the money and time flying there, uh, you still deal with the problem of 
it's really hard to to dissect and and talk through with groups of people complex 3D data on a two-dimensional screen while somebody's driving with a mouse and a keyboard. Mm. And you know, you look at sort of the pain and suffering that many different verticals deal with, whether it is aerospace or medical or these other areas of interest, architecture that deal with complex 3D data, um, whether or not you're flying there or, 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 or not, it's, it's uh, a lot of fat in that conversation. I think mm. MR has a real opportunity to you know, give you that, that ability to understand and interpret data. Um, and it gives you the ability to, with some of these core features, um, bring in remote users that may be across the globe. Like for example, you know, just to give a little story, my business partner just returned from a trip uh, to Shanghai, um, talking with a number of uh, partners over there. And you know, he's got his HoloLens with him, and it's four in the morning, and I'm in my apartment in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm putting on my HoloLens, and now I'm in the conference room in the middle of the afternoon in Shanghai. Hmm. And because we're pushing that spatial information back to both parties, now I'm in that conference room, I'm walking over to their wall, bathed in sunlight, in my apartment in the middle of the night, and I'm hanging our pitch deck on the wall and hmm. talking through some of the things we're doing. And you know, it's these types of experiences that even for us internally become super powerful. And when you look at a lot of the places that people are spending time and money on HoloLens development right now, if you can sort of meet that demand of getting that cool thing and that wow factor, but then building these additional value adds of telepresence, of contact integration, of calendar integration, um, eventually uh, APIs to bring in those SaaS applications like CRMs, you start to build a really interesting use case where MR kind of goes out of this, this novel demo territory and into a daily valuable business tool. And I think right now that's the big problem with the whole industry is this chicken and egg problem. Nobody has the hardware. And if you have the hardware, what the hell do you do with it? Mm. And if you can kind of crack that egg and, and you know, really solve some of those core challenges, that's going to be extremely valuable, not just for us, but for the industry as a whole. So that, that's you know, a key question. I know that you and I were talking about that is, is you're really wanting to delve into. Is like, so how, how do you build a profitable software product in the space? Um, especially as, as we know that hardware's, hardware is going to continue to evolve. I mean, yeah. What's, what's there, where, how are you threading that needle? That's a complex question. I guess one place to start with that is the hardware itself, as you left off on. When you look at HoloLens, you look at the core of other technologies that are either on the market today, they're being marketed towards OEM manufacturers to integrate into their products, and you look at sort of the general landscape over the next 24-ish months, there's definitely some key traits that you can rely on. One of those is being with HoloLens, it starts, and I think all the devices are going to follow, uh, and certainly the OEM devices backed by Microsoft are having really good inside-out positional tracking as well as surface spatial reconstruction where you know I know without any external sensors where I am in the environment, I can know that that is a table in front of me, that is a wall over there, and I have this very rich understanding of the real world. That is us as developers, a super powerful base hardware level uh, item that has to exist. That's, that's not going away, that's only gonna get better. When you look at things like Leap Motion and their Orion software package, and you know, just recently, uh, I think it was a game developers conference a couple weeks ago, showcasing with Qualcomm their inside out uh, VR solution for full hand tracking that is absolutely astounding. 
that is something you can start to expect to move away from the sort of limited hand tracking you get on Hollands to full skeletal reconstruction in real time. That's something that you can definitely look towards. When you start looking at, and Mary Beth spoke about it, you know, some of these additional uh, sort of, of technology ads when it comes to the displays themselves. Obviously, wider field of view is, we'll see. I think that's, that's not too out of the realm to get a little bit higher than what we are today on the HoloLens. But when you talk about solving convergence issues, if I want to look at something really close and my eyes are starting to move together, uh, different focal lengths, and some of these core things that make up our real-world perception of reality into this new device, these are all like heavy billions of dollars being spent tracks that the industry as a whole is on. So for us, it's sort of looking at, you know, I agree haptics and some of these edge cases are interesting, but it's sort of what is going to have the most commercial viability, what's going to have the most scalability from a customer perspective uh, in terms of integrating that into their environment, uh, and sort of dissecting and unpacking and really betting on those key uh, sort of hardware paths. And for us, when we're building that UX, you know, you might have a SaaS application that's tapping some server somewhere and you're dealing with a, a spinning icon, but if you can <clears throat> forge the UX in such a way, relying on that you're using base HoloLens class spatial mapping, positional tracking to deal with that in an effective way in the UI and still let you have some sort of interaction going on, there's a lot of ways you can sort of work around the limitations of the hardware and really forge a, a great experience. And I think right now, because when you look at mobile and web, the book has been written time and again of how to do good UX design. Uh, it's not been written for this new medium. And you know, I think even with decades of research, just the level of hardware integration, technology integration that even HoloLens has is so kind of out there that it's a lot to take in and really think through how do you forge a, a solid user experience out of that. And so for us, a lot of what we're doing in terms of intellectual property development, in terms of, of core why and how and what do, do these things do and how do they work, that's where we spend lots and lots of time on at this point. Um, and there's a lot more time to go, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I, I think we, we've reached that point where I just need to ask my final question, then we can get the round table and keep going, because this is, this is where we all want to be, right? To, to keep, keep the conversation going. So where can people find you on the interwebs? So I think this industry is trying its best to thrive. So you can find us at timewethrive.com. Oh, excellent. Fabulous. Well, you did it. You made it through the hot seat. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Well, you you can stay in the hot seat, and it's converting to your seat. And we'll invite our uh, other guests back in for our roundtable section. So uh, this is our second section. So now everyone's got their microphone. Um, I know I asked this of one of you, but I, I, now that all three of you had a chance to kind of hear each other, um, I'm curious. With we'll start here. Where where are the where is the biggest technological gaps that we're facing? Um, where, where the three of you guys? What do, where do you where do you agree? Where do you disagree on? What, what is the biggest gap? So, from the industry perspective, the main thing what I see is the weight of this particular glasses and all, whatever the variable devices is the major concern, and also the power consumption is the major gap. The battery has been sitting, and the power is sitting on the same from almost decades like that and we are getting new experiences and it has to go the size all those things that's one area which i'm looking at there are other problems which we need to explore but 
there are problems which we are knowing now, but these are already we know, but nothing has been done. I, so, I, I did well. I, I disagree with that. And okay. when you look at the architecture from a, a hardware point of view of Hololens, okay. and I know full well I wear it many hours a day, and I know that it's not the most ergonomic thing out there. But that device is three years old, yeah. really four or more in terms of when Microsoft started developing it. And when you look at something like what Magic Leap's doing, and I'm mm -hmm. not saying that they're the, the king or anything, we don't fully know yet, but we have a pretty good understanding of by moving that, A, the, the HoloLens is using an old Atom processor, which you know really hampers it in terms of that form factor and what okay. they can get away with on performance. But when you look at the architecture of Holo, or excuse me, Magic Leap, moving that um, processor and, and GPU cluster and battery off to a pack and letting the just display and the sensors be on the face, you immediately eliminate a lot of those ergonomic issues. And in terms of what they're doing, potentially, I don't think this will be in Gen 1, but potentially with some of these things of solving, having to have additional sensors for eye tracking and hmm. outward perception into the waveguides themselves, potentially, we'll see. You're, you're going a, a massive leap, like the Model T to a early Ferrari in terms of, of the integration of performance uh, yeah. in, in just a few years. And so I, I don't disagree with you because I wear no, one plenty. Yeah, I agree with you, like, okay, the weight's shifting and all. Well, I, 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 I kind of agree. That, so I was having this uh, uh, conversation with my colleague Thad Starner the other day, who is, you know, the tech lead on Google Glass, you know, and with Google Glass, they were doing the most they could in a weight that they had decided was hmm. acceptable to wear for long, long periods of time. And still, like, look at the, you know, short battery life of glass. You couldn't ha you can't have the camera running for very long. But anyway, Thad was talking to me about how he always asks VR, you know, uh, professionals, like, how long, what's the maximum time you have ever worn a head-mounted display? And I, Ian is, like, in the very rare... Yeah. <laughs> world of people that have worn these things for very long periods of time. Like, I think it's one thing to say, oh, I might sit down on the couch and for an hour put this thing on and play around with it. It's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to wear this for eight hours a day at my job. And yeah. I think even with the, the advancements that are coming, I don't know that because of power, because of processing, because of, you know, camera and optics and these other requirements, I don't know if it's going to be quite wearable enough yet for some application. Mm. Yeah, so just to add that mainly on the industrial areas where they have to focus on the work that they are doing than readjusting and all. If you are sitting in a single position, that's good. But when I'm putting the HoloLens in industrial areas where they have to move and all, the weight is not balanced you have to constantly balance it if you are moving forward backward right left and all so yeah that's a uh, one uh, area uh, that, and to follow up on both those points it, it for us right now it's all these different variables many which are not discovered by anybody yet not saying we are you know going to discover them but we're trying where does the product market fit happen with mm. with mm. even Holland's today and what's coming over the next couple of years and you're right just that one parameter alone of battery life and wearability, usability, becomes a huge red flag when you try to go after certain verticals at this point. So mm -hmm. I, I fully agree it's, it's a, a detriment, 
but I think the technology is at a point now where there are some particular use cases that, that it can start being uh, mm -hmm. deployed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are some research which is going on like, okay, we, we need to see basically the VR and AR, a lot of areas we are breaking out of the cocoon, but from the power consumption point of view, we are still not, we are still going in. Mm -hmm. So the what I was saying is like, okay, the variable uh, uh, power generation, like, okay, your clothing, which generates a very tiny amount of power and all, uh, based on your movements and all those things, those things start, should feed. Like when you take different sources of info, where it generates a little amount of power, accumulate it, then, and reduce your sensor requirements and reduce the power as the processors and all are becoming better at power, then you reach a balance, but we are not there yet. And we are not, I'm not, unfortunately I have to say, like we are not thinking about it. We are just saying, okay, I have a battery, just put it there. Well, let me, let me um, shift towards uh, a, a different vector on this one. Um, how prepared or unprepared do you guys think we are as a society to deal with virtual reality and augmented reality and mixed reality, all these things that are that could be coming very quickly. I think we're prepared for VR as it is now. I think if we ever had the holodeck, our society would collapse. Because I think <laughs> we, would, we would go in there when we were 12 and we would never come out again. Yeah. But I think we're a long way away from, from that happening. I think, although I, I think like, when we imagine these like wearable and AR applications that are like, again, very intimately tied to me and they're augmenting my abilities all the time, I think it opens up a lot of interesting questions to our society about what, how augmented am I allowed to be mm. at what times? You know, like, can I use my cognitive prosthetic wearable device while I take the SAT? Mm. Um, you know, no one would tell me I couldn't wear glasses while I was taking the SAT. That's wearable technology that is overcoming a, you know, a impairment that I have. You know, so, so then when there's these interesting questions of uh, assistive technology versus augmentative technology. And mm. so I think we are facing a lot of very interesting challenges here in the next decade around well, that. Well, I mean, I, I'm getting off what the, the point I was going to make, but based on what you're saying, I remember all through school being yelled at by teachers, and I will make no argument that I'm terrible at math, of you'll never have a calculator on you. You've got to learn this. You will never have a calculator right. on you all times. So, oh, yeah, that's right. I know, forgot about it, that. It, it, I, you it, weren't allowed to have your calculator. It does just... become a societal question of, you know, do you reach this precipice of everybody is so plugged into these devices and these systems that, and it's not just the devices, but it is the future AIs and these assistants uh, registering all this data at once, just in this, this endless stream, do you become so plugged in as a society that you know those restrictions of taking an SAT or having to even do these things, do this go, well, you're getting a very philosophical era mm -hmm. conversation here, but it, it's not that far off, believe it or not. Uh, I mean, what I was gonna you know, kind of comment on is I think in one way we are, if you look at you know, 20 years ago and look forward to smartphones and the integration that's happened with that across the world, uh, that would seem impossible, but we don't think twice about it today. Mm. And it's that kind of you know, frog in the boiling water of, of it just kind of creeps up, creeps up, and all of a sudden you're in this fantasy mushroom land and you're a mixed reality headset and you don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not unreasonable to say at the same time if you look at, you know, come back to reality, if you look at Snap and what they're doing with mm -hmm. spectacles, 
uh, the AR filters around that, their business model they're building around that. You know, they're definitely ramping up Gen Z, the millennials, to accept that vision. I think they're doing a great job for not just themselves, but the industry as a whole. And uh, I mean, you know, just, just they've pioneered the fact that we can we we is we take it for granted that I can have a. You know, my, an image of myself puking a rainbow. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that is what we've done. That's, for that's where we're at. To make everybody into a taco and make millions of dollars on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing that's going to start with them, but just it's trivial as it is. It's you know, start yeah. with those guys with the iPhone, the, the younger crowd, and mm-hmm. now your grandma has one. And it's well, just yeah, that day. was yeah. that was the interesting thing. I was I lived I was living in Boston um, and traveling a lot to New York when when the iPad came out, and and it was amazing to watch the quick shift from Kindle to iPad that was ubiquitous on those on the train and it was people i would never imagine so you know that was early ideas uh, days of iphone it was always the hip young hip folks but it was the the older people who were using ipads very very quickly for that one and i'm and i'm wondering you know some of the things like the the panel i was mentioning earlier around um um you know therapy uh, approaches around using augmented reality and virtual reality and in and actually from the drug addiction one it's Getting, you know, recreating the environments that when you're, uh, you're addicted to something, it's the triggers, right? So it's trying to identify the triggers and then replicating those triggers and, and having you go through that. Even the smell, if you're, yeah. if, you're, if you're addicted to something specific, you smell something that triggers that thing. One more basic thought process we have to change if the society has to accept. Because what we are projecting VR and AR is as if entertainment or making... Uh, your life more easy but actually it should be more of how it's going to increase your productivity and all those things it should be more focusing on it one example the same point which you are saying like SAT test maybe we need to change the test make it more difficult and say that okay use the augmented reality headsets like we have the open book exams first so the pattern has to change and as part of this, accepting this VR and AR, right now we are, we have initially we were, when the phone came with the camera, we were crying out like, okay, there is a privacy issue, the camera with the phone and all these things. with glass a lot too, right? Yeah, yeah the of privacy so, was, freaked people yeah. out. Nowadays you go and try to buy a phone without a camera, good luck that's with hard. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck so, finding a phone without uh, the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the same thing. And basically... As a human being, we are always, I told the same thing before, we are a greedy people regarding evolution. So we want to evolve as fast as possible and augment ourselves as fast as possible. That started when we started uh, fire. Okay, because it's cold and we want to cook the food because I don't want to put a lot of effort on my stomach. That was one of the first apps I downloaded. Yeah. It was fire. Yeah. So... (laughs) That's where we started. So basically, in our genes, we are adapted and we are in inclined towards like okay, evolving and making our life comfortable right. and augmenting ourselves. Everything tools, that we are doing tools, is tools are a defining yeah, thing of ours, right? Augmentation is in our genes. So whatever we are doing is evolving further and more rapidly. Only thing is, we are we are is making it changing a lot of things at the same time. So that's what is actually shocking a lot of people, mm. but it's all part of the evolution. Well, let me ask a, a rapid-fire question, then I'll get the, the audience yeah. involved here with any of their Q and, uh, questions they might have. Um, rapid-fire, 
What's something that you've seen recently that really got your blood pumping when it came, comes to this world? I, I uh, personally go the opposite way in that my blood is, is quite calm in that yeah. uh, there's a lot of noise. You're like a shark. Yeah, just, yeah. Really, yeah, just yeah. waiting, oh. smelling. Hannibal and, Lecter. Yeah, yeah. Like and it, there's, there's not a lot to smell right now. It's, it's, there's a lot of action going on. Yes, there is, but it's so early and there's so much kind of initial noise and we're part of that to an extent where a lot of these things have not been discovered. It's sort of like film in 1890 where it's so hard to even do in the first place and those who are doing it have no idea what the hell they're doing with this stuff. Mm. You know, we're the caveman, you know, burning himself with the fire right now. We have no idea what we're doing with it. So it's, it's super early, but I think that's a positive thing in that what does get my blood racing is when you look at something as, as silly as the iPhone 8 uh, drop and you look at subsequent launches of big apps and I can bet there's going to be Pokemon Go levels and above successes with that new sensor suite uh, and you start to look at, you know, once Magic Leap drops later this year, you start to look at these other devices coming out. I think for MR, which is our focus, you're at this very interesting point this crossroads where there's a lot going on, but it's still very quiet. And outside of this room, not you ask 99 people on the street, they're not going to know what this is. Once some of these these barriers fall down, which will be by Christmas of this year, the industry is going to be at a a 11 in terms of just the heat and the the momentum behind it. And nice uh, spinal tap I, reference. That's good. Yeah. So that it's, it's 11. It's 11. <laughs> just because it goes know, up to 11. Why not have it at 10? But we want 11. <laughs> And it, it, I, you know, I think Mary Beth might disagree with me because it's been around for so many years in the labs. But I think it is at this stage. If you have Apple, the world's most valuable company, basically positioning the flagship feature of their new flagship product sold globally as AR, that becomes a like you know shiver on your spine like level of a commitment that is going to change the face of this industry in, in such a short order. No, I totally agree. I, I like to play the curmudgeon to make the panel interesting, but um, <laughs> no, you, don't, you cannot imagine how exciting it is for me. The person that used to walk around with a wagon full of equipment <laughs> and the thing that was burning my face and like, I can just walk into a Best Buy and buy a dis, you know a head-mounted display that I used to spend fifty thousand dollars for, or like the tracking on the Hololens is beautiful. Like that, I can just easily put these virtual images in space and just have them perfectly registered. Um, yeah, it's it's easy to kind of forget. You know, you know those of us that kind of see this stuff all the time. It is this boiling yeah. the frog. We don't appreciate yeah. how amazing <laughs> yeah. the the whole space is. It's kind of going from DOS to uh, to Windows. Uh, what a magic moment that was, right? Mm-hmm. Raj, what about you? What what gets your your blood pumping? So, I've seen like okay recently some of the platforms which are like, for example, Intel came up with a platform. Uh, what's that? I forgot. Intel Alloy, something like okay for the VR headsets and all. But in, it's good, but the, the difference is like we are bifurcating and saying that, okay, this is VR, this is MR, this is ER. We are not there. Yeah. So let's keep it open. And when we are trying to build the platforms, see and put all the sensors in place. So then we experiment and then we can come up. So some of the platforms which are coming, okay, this is, we are already bifurcating and saying, okay, this goes into this segment. This goes in, as you told, 
we don't know like okay it's like a 1890 making the film so why are we already like okay basically a data scientist he cannot put or add the metadata when the data is getting ingested right you have to wait until you run it through multiple process cycles like okay where then you add your metadata specific to a domain it makes sense so but what we are doing right now is like we are trying to build the platforms without knowing what that platform is actually and we are trying to create the frameworks that's where i'm kind of like okay very unhappy with the way platforming is going on from the headsets <laughs> platforms going to platform yeah. all right so let's uh, shift to the third and final segment here in terms of the the q and a for our town hall anybody uh, brave uh, come on up here to the microphone come over here and because if you're not if you're not on the microphone you're not in the world you you got to be so i have a question basically for the round table you want to introduce yourself and who so, you are sam elkick uh, uh, i work you know entrepreneur mainly but i work for coke not representing anyone but personally so my question is for the infrastructure now that we're building all these great technologies how are we supporting when 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 you talk about a product like yours how are you dealing with latency between let's say the USA and then other countries uh, you know that doesn't have the infrastructure that we have and we enjoy on everyday basically basis like internet like high speed internet mm -hmm. so how are you bridging those connections between uh, closing the world if you want to call it like you you described your your scenario earlier but to a country that has infrastructure. So how are you, you know, as we roll out this whole vision on what VR should look like or AR should look like, <clears throat> those centric essential infrastructure uh, network, uh, latency, uh, indexing, all, all these things that do deliver you a, a, a seamless experience when it comes down to VR or AR. That's my question. Thanks. Yeah, I, I can speak to that. So mm -hmm. it, it's a great question and to throw it out there initially, you know, we can only control so much in terms of, you know, a, a massive undertaking that is the global internet um, and expansion into faster and faster speeds across the planet. That being said, you know, funny story is we had had um, parts of our server infrastructure hosted um, partially in Singapore, um, doing a bunch of uh, meetings in Asia and an undersea cable <laughs> it's like, well, what, what we're going to swim and fix this case. So, so there's, there's, uh, there's things out of our control. Now, that being said, in terms of architecture for what we're doing, and I think uh, this is one of the exciting things that, that this technology offers, is you're really building on the backs of giants in terms of those, those international telecom providers and then also the, the gamers, the online gamers <laughs> that have been around for decades. Um, and and fueled a lot of the, the fundamental 3D engines and, and infrastructures behind those um, networking infrastructures behind those um, that were you know really riding on the backs on with this new this new world and you know for an application like ours um, and we've done this plenty you can be in China at a hotel lobby with a sub megabit connection and because you're just transferring positional coordinates hmm. and running the you know avatar locally on the device you're talking about a small fraction of the throughput that a typical video call would have so basically everything would be cached or indexed by the time Over here, to you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the rest of the world cannot hear so, you so 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 basically you you'll have the mechanism of caching most of the content before it gets to you or it's actually self-generated on the machine that you're wearing 
It's, mm-hmm. It depends on the application. Yeah, I mean, you're still going to have to, if you got an, a- an asset that you brought in and you're going to share that with somebody, that's going to have to go over the network. Mm. But you're doing some stuff to decimate that as- uh, uh, asset because the HoloLens, as it stands, is pretty low-powered. So you're kind of like hitting two birds with one stone in that case. I agree there's some, some edge cases, lots of edge cases globally where the Internet is, mm-hmm. is very, very poor. Right. That, you know, a video call is not going to happen and maybe our software is not going to happen. And that's just kind of the, the, you know, the nature of we can only control so much. But I do think that if you look at the testing we've done and, and the way you can architect these, these pieces of software, you can hit a pretty large amount of the global market, um, even if those are, are running you know, 5 megabit, sub-megabit connections, and still get a pretty quality experience out of it. And you know, like we spoke yeah. about, there's some ways that you can, through the user experience, if you have some data, an asset that's coming through and it's going to take... 30 seconds to load in. There's a lot of stuff that even was developed on mobile and web for you know quite a while now in terms of, of engaging the user in a way that makes them feel like they're not waiting. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff you can do design and experience-wise to, to overcome some of those challenges. Yeah, just to add on top of it, there is a lot of research going on also like uh, there for the air and the content that we are sharing, there are altogether different level of standards that are coming out. Like, okay, for example, how do I transmit the 3D content? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to transmit the FBX files over the internet. I'm going to use, Kronos is working on GLTF, which is basically like okay, streaming a GIF file, whereas here you are streaming a 3D content if it is required. But our architecture and the thought process will be completely different. We We'll be very stingy about what we are going to put it onto the pipe and we'll be interested in generating the content based on your environment. So that's where the challenge is going to be, how we design the applications and all those things. Sure. Good stuff? Yeah, good stuff. Thank you. Yep. Are we going to have for a couple more? I get Ben's next. Ben with an exclamation <laughs> point. Who are you, Ben? What do you do? My name is Ben Friedman. I'm with Imbibe Digital Realities. And I have a kind of fun question, but maybe a little serious too. Um, And to give you kind of a point of reference, um, I think about sustainability Mm -hmm. and how that came into the world of um, the corporate world and where we are now 10, 15, 20 years for many enterprises and incorporating that into um, their businesses. Um, Put your, you know, prediction hat on. How long will it be until we have a chief virtual reality officer or a chief realities officer or <laughs> what what form will that take in an enterprise and and when oh you already no, i don't know have, i think that's saying think. like the chief mobile phone officer or the <laughs> chief computer display i mean it's just another modality to access information um yeah, so but someone yeah. wants that c-suite Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm available if anyone wants to hire a chief AR officer. So um, uh, let me just, I understood it in a different way, that question. So you're speaking about, let me, correct me if I'm wrong, what I understood. You're speaking about the chief virtual reality officer means a machine learning system doing that particular job or in the enterprise there is someone doing that job. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's obviously an open question, and everybody yeah. can interpret it as they wish. But, yeah, what I'm trying to unpack is, you know, do the types of things we're talking about 
uh, to use you know buzzy words, are, are the possibilities paradigm shifting enough mm-hmm. that this isn't something that should just be resting on a CTO's desk, right? Mm-hmm. Is this something that has the potential to transform business and industry in ways that perhaps we have not had um, with other technologies? Yeah, I think it's true that you could, I could see needing to have people that are in charge of what you can do with Mm. these immersive technologies, like you're the chief overseeing like the teleworking or computer supported supported collaborative work efforts Mm -hmm. for an organization which could be aided by ian's fabulous product or you know other uh, (laughs) well i mean to to, to go off on that it's it's uh, to go on a little bit of a tangent but yeah to answer your question i i think about when you look at the um trajectory the relationships of something like gm in terms of their valuation and output and their employee count in years past versus in, in the time to, to achieve that versus something like Uber in terms of their founding date, their employee count and valuation output. And you look at all other companies kind of on that, that timeline as a whole, that time to start to big value, big output is becoming smaller and smaller exponentially as well as the employee count to do so and if you think about okay um you and this is going to sound a little silly but i wouldn't be totally surprised uh if we're not that far out from it where you've got a kid a zuckerberg um who eats half the economy overnight and is the ruler of the planet like as crazy as that sounds that's the trajectory that that data is on and if you think about, okay, you've got really powerful AI systems, you've got really powerful, cheap, deployable humanoid robotics, you've got really cheap, powerful um, MR and interfaces that, that can you know, drive all this kind of stuff, and you sort of have this big soup of all these, these big technologies that are very real and very much on this trajectory coming together, and you've got some whiz kid that can piece that together the right way, like an Uber or like a Snapchat or any of these other big explosive um, companies, you've got the recipe for a kid overnight to eat half the world's economy and become overlord of all of us, and then Skynet happens. And that's <laughs> silly, but it's that's the sort of trajectory this is headed on. Well, if you add in the like on-demand 3D printing, I would yeah. absolutely see that. I think a future where I don't go to the store or even order from Amazon, I download the the plans or the recipe for whatever item I'm now going to print at home. And now you are able, you know, you're the weird guy in the basement. You come up with the fabulous new product and like that, everybody on earth could get it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I can't fully comprehend how this happened, but the data shows that that's the real trajectory that things are on. The the latest statistics also showing that. So it's the projection is like, okay, out of the four, one job, one human will be replaced by this, all these AI systems within the next four or five years. Hmm. Yeah. So that's where it's Wonderful. going. Wonderful. I can't wait to get gardening. I'm going to get in the gardening now. <laughs> yeah. All right, we've got time for one more question. AJ, you want to introduce yourself and ask you a question? Hi there. Um, I'm Ajay Ganapathy. I'm a UX designer at Cyrano Systems. Um, my question is pretty simple. 
When you talk about mixed reality, virtual reality, augmented reality, there's reality in it. What happens to my agency and my privacy when you take reality and change it in such a fundamental way? I think you still have agency. I mean, I have agency in, you know, an online game even. Like, I could be in a completely virtual world and have agency. I don't know. Now I'm thinking about that question. Hmm. Um, I mean, you can get... <laughs> You can get a little farther down and say, okay, well, if you've got a future Google Now, future Siri, kind of a fairly decent assistant that is linked to a, you know, physical avatar representation, and you're in an environment, a world, a society where people have these devices like they do smartphones, and it's commonplace, and you're conducting personal and business conversation, et cetera, through these mediums. You know, to have a, a, you know, agent that is not you operating as you in this world. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of the sci-fi of, and I think sci-fi misses the mark because very few sci-fi movies, if any, or books, and, well, I shouldn't say books, but movies definitely have missed the mark on, on where things are headed with this new technology. They love to focus on robotics, but if you think about, okay, you've got the society where 50% of the beings are, are humanoid robots, well, we may not get there quite as fast as everybody's got eyeglasses and there are agents that are not quite people operating in this physical world as we do. And that's not, that, that might as well, very, very well come quicker than the, uh, yep. the hardware. It's uh, actually like, there is already a product in Japan which is... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, similar to the Google Home, but actually you have... Uh, holographic projection inside that. Mm -hmm. So basically, what's, if you see that particular videos and all, people are more attached to it. It's basically replacing a person from an empathetic, empathic, empath sorry, empathy point of view. So that means there is the systems which are already reaching a state where they are doing that particular job. So that's blurring the reality, actually speaking. So they are... That particular product, if you look at it, it's going to become normal uh, in most of the scenarios where you are saying, okay, I'd better talk to that particular device than go and spend some time with friends and all because it understands what I'm saying. Hmm. Right? It's not very far. Thank you. All right. That's... Um that brings us to the end of another episode of the Hump Day Exchange. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Mary Beth Gandhi. Um, Raj Aluri, Ian Knott, and our strategic partners, uh, the University Financing Foundation, Gateway Development Services, ATDC, Scheller, Keysight Technologies, Marta, and Honeywell. Be sure to check out TechSquareATL.com for regular stories about TechSquare. Learn more about Sandbox ATL membership network at the Sandbox ATL at, at SandboxATL.com and book your breakthrough event at BookTheGarage.com. A final thank you to you, our listeners. If you like what you're hearing, we love it if you share this po podcast with your friends. Be sure to su subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you really like what you're hearing. So until you see the camel silhouette beamed into the sky again, this has been the Hump Day Exchange. Yeah. <laughs>